0: This, this is, is the Spurs, Spurs Cast with your host, Paul Garcia.
1: And welcome back to another episode of the Spurs Cast. On today's episode, I will be speaking with Project Spurs writer Colin Reed. In this episode, Colin and I will discuss the San Antonio Spurs' team salary going into the offseason. Let's go ahead and jump right into this episode with Colin. Colin, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing great. It's uh, one of my favorite times of the year. The playoffs are starting. You know, we Last weekend was the uh eight games in two days but the plan has made that even better because you had 10 postseason games from the whole weekend it's amazing i love it it definitely is made uh every night fun you can just turn it on and there's a quality game every night i love
1: it i, I love it too man like it's it's so good the fact that we had like we didn't really have a clear favorite this year and that's what makes mm-hmm. it even better is like we really don't know who's going to come out of this at the end of the at the end of the day you know once once june comes around in the finals so i'm happy been a great time watching the playoffs. I know the Spurs aren't in there, but I mean, it's just really fun to watch more of these very um, even teams. Now there are some series that kind of oh, yeah. get away from, you know, like, like the Sixers series and stuff, but you know, uh, yeah, it's been a really fun time, but Colin, let's go ahead and jump into uh, the free agency for the Spurs. They're off upcoming off seasons. So that's what we want to talk about. Just the initial steps of it, just because there is still a long time until um, free agency of it actually be uh Comes around on July first, and we're barely in in a, in a mid April, late April. All right, so let's first begin with some news and notes, Colin, from the offs About uh, what's happened this past week, even though the Spurs aren't playing basketball, there was some some news regarding their team. So we had talked about um, uh, it was Joe Garcia and I had last spoken about the uh, Spurs and Rockets finishing the regular season with the same record. So we didn't know who was going to actually get the second, um, have the second worst record, which means that you're still going to have a 14 percent chance at the number one pick, but. Uh, In a worst case scenario, if you if you end up with the third worst record, you can become seventh and you can fall all the way to seven. There's a potential there for that to happen. And so the Spurs were in a random drawing with the with the Houston Rockets on Monday. And um, after that took place, the NBA announced that the Rockets won that basically coin flip. And so in a worst case scenario, Houston can only fall to six, whereas San Antonio can now fall to seven uh in, in the in the uh, lottery. Now there's a very, very small chance of that happened happening to either team. So um the Spurs is, you know, st- still best odds are to end up with a top three pick there, uh since they have a 40% chance with the Rockets and with the Detroit Pistons. Um what else do I want to note here? Also, from that from that drawing, uh, we do want to note that once we find out who gets that second uh, that second worst record, uh, I mean who gets the lottery pick, it'll impact who, uh, the Spurs the second round pick. They're either going to get the 32nd pick or 33rd pick. It kind of depends on where or they and the Rockets um, end up. And then lastly, they also they are also going to have the 44th pick in um, via the Toronto Raptors in the second round. So they're going to basically go into this draft with three picks: one in the first round and two in the second round. Uh, there's also some some CBA updates now um, from Sham Shrani of the Athletic. Now again, we want I want to note that none of this is actually set in stone yet. You know, they haven't actually written out the agreement. These are just things that have been, um, you know, agreed to by both sides, the players union and the NBA. And so Shams and Woj are continuing to report different, um, Different different numbers and different um, kind of uh, uh, new details from, from the deal. So one of the details that we talked about when you and I last spoke a few weeks ago was the room exception is definitely getting a 30% increase. So it's going from 5.5 million to 7.6 million like we, like we spoke about. But one new detail is that max contracts for that type of deal can now be up to three years in length according to Shams. Uh, and then lastly, there's going to be a second round pick exception. The details are still a little vague here. Uh, Shams reported that it's a, it, it, that the players can sign for three to four years uh, contract length uh, up, up to the minimum salary. Uh, he also mentioned for a third year player, that didn't make too, too much sense. I wasn't sure just quite yet. I, mean, I think there's more details we're waiting to see. But that's important for the Spurs, that second round pick exception, because like I said, they're going to end up going into the draft with two second round picks. Uh, what are your what are your thoughts on um, the uh, how the coin flip went and then also uh, just any of these new details from the CBA?
2: Yeah, so the, the coin flip obviously not going the Spurs way is is tough, and that's one of those things where the last day of the regular season we had the tank fest between the Mavs and the Spurs, and I think it came to a place. And I know, you know everyone was like, why did the league investigate the Mavs and not a team like the Spurs or the Rockets? And I think that last game of the regular season was like a clear example as to why because both teams had very big incentive to lose that game. And, like, the Spurs, you know, they might rest Devin Vassell even if it's just, like, a little small injury or they might rest Sohan because, you know, he stubbed his toe four weeks ago or something like that. But, like, they are not trying to be, like, anti-competitive. And, like, when the guys are out there on the floor, like, Pop still demands a certain level of execution. Like, he's still trying to run his game plan. Like, they might be out-talented, and we've talked about this all year, but -hmm. they're not going to go, like, hey, let's just try to lose with the guys on the corner. And like the Mavs, you know, they were like, oh, well, you know, we're close to the play and like we have one of the league's biggest stars this international star, but it's better for us to get potentially a victor, but, you know, at least even a pick at all. So we're going to, you know, kind of go to that anti-competitive level. And I think the lack of talent on the Spurs side was outweighed by the absolute just trying to lose by the Mavs. But that was a big game because if they would have lost that game, then there wouldn't have even had to be a coin flip to get yeah.
1: that. So That's a- that.
2: You know, it's one of those things where you, you look back on it, but you can't look at just one experience. You know, I, I know the Rockets, there was a time where the Rockets beat the Spurs, I think two games in, in one weekend. I think that was yeah. when I saw you last even. And like, that was obviously a big deal. Any One of those games going different. And then we're looking at a different scenario too. So, you know, I think it it looks unfortunate, but like as we talk, you know, I know some of what we're gonna talk about is free agency, but looking at the Spurs needs, I think a lot of the players projected at the top of the draft fit what the Spurs need on this roster right now. Okay. Um, except for Victor, who who cares, like you build the roster around him, you know? Yeah, for uh, sure. I think one of the things about the second round pick exception. So we had talked about it a little bit earlier, but two things that I had actually I came up with a second idea. My first one is I'm wondering if he misspoke and he meant two-way player exception, because this is a minimum Mm -hmm. salary, um, three to four-year minimum. A a minimum exception can only go out two years. So three to four years is a little bit more than that. That is a little bit um, interesting there. So up to this point, two ways can only be first or second year players. So maybe – when he's saying third year, he means a third year can now be a two-way player. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'm wondering if that means is a player who is not drafted in the first round, who's brought in the NBA on anything other than a rookie scale contract, if they are free agents before like it's like before their fourth season or before their third season or something, they become unrestricted free agents or something like that. And I'm wondering if this is just another tool for teams to be able to um give these Uh, contracts that are longer in length to these players who look like they have talent, but, you know, they might get kind of snatched away in restricted free agency um, if they didn't have, like, the years to be able to give them or maybe someone would send them a big offer sheet or, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's either, I think, has to do with the fact that, like, they can use this to kind of help the teams that drafted a player in the second round or found an undrafted free agent Uh, that would normally be a restricted free agent and like keep them for longer term, or I'm wondering if it has something to do with the two way, but the, the more exciting thing about this is the fact that Shams is saying this again, I've heard some other people talking about this too, like the dunked on guys. I think that the terms are probably getting finalized. So we're, we're not going to have to like the fact that Shams had something this specific that came out weeks afterwards. I think we're not going to have to rely on reports say, wait, did he mean this? Did he say it this way? I think, I think we're not far away from the document being published, uh, which obviously will mean that you and I are then waiting for Larry (laughs) Kuhn to make his FAQ. But after that, then there won't be any more questions, which is nice. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I would just, it may just a prediction. I would think like for sure, like by like early June, they're doing at least a month before free agency and everything oh, yeah. kicks into place. Cause they got to have, you know, the team's got to study this thing and make sure that they, they're ready to go. And uh, yeah. So, so just to, to kind of give some context, what Colin mentioned, it was that, like he said, uh, we do see the scenario for some teams where the second round picks, the, the like, he, like he said, you can only sign them. If, if you sign a veteran um, minimum ex, uh, deal, then you can only be for two years. So what we're saying, what, what they're saying here in this new reporting is that if it is that, that second round exception where they can go three to four years, sometimes we see that teams that want to sign their second round, picks for three to four year deals they have to use part of like their biannual exception or their mid-level exception they, they basically can't just use the veteran minimum it doesn't work that way so so maybe that's that's also another part of it so again we'll see what happens as the final details uh, do come in and once that actual document is ready to go in for all of us to read all right so now our next topic Colin. let's go ahead and uh, jump into the Spurs' offseason what I want to do today like I said is just kind of give a, um, a just kind of a, um, a, a breakdown of where their team kind of stands going into the offseason before the lottery, before the draft, and then before free agency. So we're gonna go through each each part of the team in terms of like who's on the team right now that we're projecting to be back next year. Then we'll go to the free agency and then you know so, so some other details. So let's first begin with the players that are um, on the roster that are have guaranteed contracts that are expected to be back on the team uh, uh, so for next season. So what I do have here is, is all the players. I'll go ahead and read them read them, and then if you're looking online, um, I mean in a visual format, you can see all the salaries. So there are eleven players expected to be back next season who have guaranteed deals, and that would leave four open roster spots. So those players are Keldon Johnson, Doug McDermott, Devonte Graham, the first-round pick, whoever that is. So it could be Victor Wimbanyama, Scoot Henderson. Um, you know, what's uh, what's the guy's from Alabama's name? Um. I just went blank. Oh, Brandon. I'm, Is it Brandon, yeah. uh, Brandon Miller? Yeah. Brandon Miller. Okay. could be um, Amon Thompson, you know, whoever, wherever the Spurs end up, you know, drafting. So that first round pick does have a, have a guaranteed salary slot. Then Zach Collins. Now he's on a non-guaranteed deal until, until um, June 23rd, but coach pop right before the season ended, did go out on the record and basically say, Zach Collins will be our starting center. So we're assuming they're going to pick up his options. So again, I don't expect him to wave Zach Collins. So I'm putting him in the group of players that are expected to be back next season. They also have Kim Birch, who we didn't see at all this year because he was, uh, he ended the season on, um, on the injury, on the injury list. They had Devin Vassell, Jeremy Sohan, Malachi Branham, Blake Wesley, and then Charles Bassey also has a guaranteed deal. So again, that's 11 players already expected to be back in the team, which means you only have four open roster spots. Colin, do you expect any of these players to not be on the roster by day one of the regular season in October? Um, so it's kind of difficult because
2: I think, um, you know, the two players that kind of stand out the most to me as, and I don't even know if they wouldn't be on the roster opening night, but that I don't know if they're going to be on the roster at the end of next season. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if I'm doing power rankings, tier one is Kim Birch, like just, he didn't play at all. Uh, the Spurs have a couple of, you know, They already said Zach Collins is our starting center at least next year. And they have, you know, Charles Bassey and they have, you know, not officially rostered Dominic Barlow, but they have a couple of like these young guys who have some potential. And I think that they're, they're going to want to see more from Charles Bassey and Dominic Barlow than they would out of, of Kim Birch. You know, I think, you know, obviously he was there to make the trade work for the Raptors getting splitter. And then I think kind of like in another tier of likelihood I would say Devonte Graham, I wouldn't expect to be there by the end of next season. Um, I don't know if like, like he's good enough that I don't see them just waving him in training camp yeah, or something like sure. that. Mm-hmm. But, but he's definitely someone who I'm looking at as like, ah, I don't expect him to be making it through the end of next year. And if that involves a trade in the off season and where another team can pick him up, or if that involves like, well, he's going into the season, but he's not finishing there. So uh, and I guess the reason why I mentioned them, even though your question is at the beginning of the season, I do think that they'd be open to trading either of those players mm-hmm. before the season started. Those are the two that stick out to me. I think beyond that, you know, on, on Twitter, I kind of tried to do this little, like uh free agent preview with the fans or whatnot, where I was talking about like, Hey, who do you think the core is? Hey. And part of the reason why I was doing that was, you know, people kind of, the number, One answer that you see for the core that people really look at is going to be Jeremy Sohan and Devin Vassell. And you're Mm -hmm. looking at what this roster needs, but also what those players would need around them. And really, like, creation from the guard spot, a wing-sized guy who can defend and has wing skills, you know, creation from everywhere on the roster, and shooting. You always need more shooting. And so I look at the top of the draft, you know, the first four projected picks, uh, you know, number one victor number two being Scoot, then Brandon Miller, then Amin Thompson, you know, and it's like their biggest needs, they would have to, and like, I'm not, I'm not a draft guy. So I don't really know what it's like Mm -hmm. after the top biggest names, but they would have to fall out of the top four to not draft a player that looks like they at least have the potential to meet one of their big needs. So I think that's where they're with some of these people that they're not super invested in, you know, they're going to wait until after the draft, because like when it comes to uh guard creation you know like if they draft scoot they're probably not thinking too hard about like well where can we find a point guard that can make you know like trey will probably become the backup at that point and they're probably going to say we feel good about this for at least a couple of years you know and the one thing where i didn't mention a need is victor but like i said earlier if you get victor it's not like oh well you know he's not point guard creation well let you know you build around that you just start from there and so i think First of all, that's where some of my optimism lies is like any, obviously Victor is like changes the course of your franchise, but mm-hmm. any of these top four players like really fits something that the Spurs need. And so I think, you know, outside of, on this list, Kim Birch and Devonte Graham, you could see either any of these players being like, well, you know, they draft, they just drafted on or they just drafted Brandon Miller. So I don't know if they need this player on the roster going forward or you can see them as being important to the Spurs at least next season, maybe not going forward. So I think it's kind of hard because I think a lot of their off season strategy is going to come up in the draft, but those two players Graham and Birch are kind of the two that I'm looking at as I don't think they're anchored to San Antonio either, either way by their side or by the team side.
1: Okay. Okay. I I agree with you there where um, again, I think that the Spurs would would allow these, those two players, Graham and, and Birch, to be on and, on the trade block, but they're not going to be aggressively trying to shop them. You know, say mm-hmm. seeing, you know you know who wants to, if if a team calls and they're interested, well, then yes, the Spurs I think are going to engage in those conversations. But like you, I, I don't expect that they would be just aggressive in trying to either to either trade these players or even try to waive a player like like um, like Birch who's in the final weaver's contract. Again, I think that they would try to get some sort of value um, uh, for for either of these players, and it would probably take though up until the trade deadline, like we saw this past year with like Josh Richardson, and Jakob Purtle. Uh, Doug's a little bit a little bit tougher for me, just because again he's also in the, coming into the last year of his deal. But I feel like like what you said, w- wherever they draft, they're gonna. Doug's a great you know wing to have out there to, for your shooting. Whether it's like Scoot, who has another another shooter, um, if, if it's Victor Wembanyama, you have another shooter there. So again, I think that Doug as well. They're not going to be aggressive in shopping him, but I think they would have to make that choice when 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 the trade deadline comes around in February. So yeah, I do expect most of these players to be on the roster unless there's like some sort of trade. Where they need to take and they need some roster space, maybe that happens. I, I could see that you know one of these players being involved there. But um, aside from that, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I don't think they'll be super aggressive, but I definitely think they'll take calls on all three of those players, uh, you know, this off season uh, and going into free agency. All right, so those are the players. Um, again, with guaranteed deals. So again, you have eleven players on the roster. That means you have four open spot roster spots left. And again, this is this is assuming uh, they they're they're already adding in the, the first round pick. <laughs> Now let's go to the seven free agents that they have on the team. So they have five uh, players who can enter restricted free agency. Now the Spurs have until June 29th to, to extend their the qualifying offer to these of uh, restricted free agents to make them restricted free agents. If not, they don't tender that qualifying offer. Well, then they'll be um, unrestricted free agents going into July 1st. So the first player is Romeo Langford. Um, he's got a 7.8 million dollar qualifying offer. Then it's Trey Jones, like you mentioned, Colin. Um, 6.3 million dollar qualifying offer. Uh, you have Mamu, who is a big, you know, a, a big fan favorite there right at the end of the season. Sandro Mamu Kalashvili has a $2.2 million qualifying offer. Two players you mentioned uh, were Dominic Barlow, a $1.8 million qualifying offer for a two-way roster spot. And then Julian Champagne, who had a good um, ending to the year with, uh, with a $1.8 million qualifying offer as well for a two-way spot. They have two under-60 free agents. They're, um, they're, they're, uh, they're veteran players, which are Gorgi Jang, and then also Keita bates Jop, who was a big role player for them this, this past season. So... Um, again, we don't we don't know exactly uh, you know which players the Spurs are going to tender qualifying offers to or or who they're trying to pursue. But what I want to do here, Colin, is kind of let's try to project you know where their 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 contract ranges fall. So we have we have uh, let's see here one two five different categories. We have a cap space deal. This means that this free agent's going to you know get 11.5 million or more out on the market. We have the mid level deal, which is between 7.1 million and 11.4 million. We have a tax deal, which is like six to seven million. And then we have a room deal, a room exception deal, which is like 3.1 million to about 5.9 million, and then uh, the veteran minimum deal, which is like one to to 1.1 to about three million dollars. Now, again, some of these exceptions are going to go up when the new CBA numbers do come in, but we just kind of want to gauge, you know, where where would that, where do you think, where do you see a, a deal for this kind of player going, whether it's with the Spurs or with another team? So let's begin with Romeo Langford. What kind of deal do you expect him to see in this offseason, whether it's from San Antonio or another team? that's a tough one. Cause like, I think, mm-hmm.
2: you know, his, when he plays, like if he was healthy 82 games, right. And he, he always like had the like, you know, 20 to 25 minutes, I think he's worth, you know, well more than $8 million. like, you know, I, I think I see him as a pretty productive player when he's out there, especially like $8 million in 2023, isn't what $8 million in 2017 was, you know? So like that it, it's hard because you're always constantly having to like in for cap inflation but the injuries do make it a little bit hard. I, I kind of honestly feel like that eight to $12 million range. Like I, I think, I don't, I honestly, I don't think, I think, okay. The new room is what I would say. The new room exception. Is Which is what like, what do we
1: say? 7.6 million? Is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 7.6. So I,
2: I think, yeah. I think, Uh, you know, what's very interesting is for a long time, there was like a, a level of, oh, this player is an MLE level player, you know? And now that the room exception actually has a little bit more beef to it, I think there's going to be a new tier, you know? Oh, this player is an MLE player. Oh, this player maybe isn't worth a full MLE, or not worth, but, like, this player isn't someone who would demand a full MLE on the open market, but they're, like, the room exception would be a good call. I feel feel like he might be right there. Like, his qualifying offer for next year might be within a good range of what a team could pay him and to take a bargain on him.
1: Okay. So I, I'm with you. My only hesitancy say the room deal area is that he, um, he just, you know, the fact that he's always getting injured and we saw that this past season, even on a, t- a, t- a you know, a perfect team where he would have had plenty of opportunity. He got out. It's not his fault. I mean, he just, he's getting injured. It just happened a lot. And so I don't know if, if teams will be hesitant where like, you know, I, I could see teams only want to give him just the max veteran minimum just because of, you know, his injury history. Uh, I, I would say the room deal, but the, the bad thing there too, is that uh again, if you're, if you're talking about a room team, it's probably a, rebuilding team, teams that have cast base like the Spurs. Um Like I think like the Rockets to have cast base, those kind of teams, you know, it's, it's definitely like, it's definitely not like a playoff level team. That's probably gonna have the room deal. So I, I agree with you there. I, w- I would go more so in that room salary range. Let's go to Trey Jones. Uh, he has a $6.3 million qualifying offer. What kind of deal do you think uh, he, uh, he, he might get this offseason
2: So this is difficult because I think that the Spurs might maybe should over Pay a little bit like I don't know what exactly his market value is but I do think that the Spurs keeping him as like they're like he he's not like Patty Mills and how he plays but I could see him being the Patty Mills of the 2020s right where he's the backup point guard he's a really good energy guy he's a really good locker room guy um the things that he's good at he's really good at and he knows what he's good at and what his limitations are like I, I think the Spurs need to keep Trey Jones as long as they should. So I, I, I do think he's starting to get closer to like the MLE type player, because like, I just yep. think that you mm-hmm. don't want to lose him. And I think that he's valuable. And I think that he's one of those kind of guys where like a, um, an NBA fan who really only follows their team, you know, if their team got Trey, they'd be like, I don't know who Trey is, but then by the playoffs, they'd be like, Oh my gosh, Trey, we love Trey. You know, I think he's a very important player for the culture of the Spurs going forward. And and I think if, you know, even if a team was like trying to threaten them with like a 12 or $13 million restricted free agent offer sheet, like they need to go for that. Like obviously they need a walkaway number, but for me, that walkaway number is higher than I think a lot of people would expect just because like he's the kind of player they need to keep on this roster while they're rebuilding.
1: Okay, I'm with you there. I do think he's in the mid-level area. I think that you know playoff teams would definitely want him. He's a really he'd be a really good backup point guard when your star gets injured. He's there that he can start games for you, and then uh, so yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, you know when they if they get to 11.4 million, that's when you're right. Does San Antonio have to overpay a little bit? 12, 13 million maybe they have to start looking at uh, to keep him. So, and and you know and again, it also depends on on what the the lottery happens. Like you said, right? If they get Scoot Henderson, well then. Hey, Hey, you know they have a walkway, an easier walkway number from Trey. But if if they get Victor Mbanyama or like you know a Brandon Miller kind of player, a, 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 you know a wing or a, or a big, well then they need a guard there. And Trey already knows kind of the the, the offense. Mm-hmm. You know he's been there for multiple years. So then maybe they do need to do that overpay for him a little bit. So I, I agree with you there. I'd say like the the MLE, and again it's not it's actually not seven point one to eleven point four. It's that new range that I think that that got a little bit of a bump. All right, let's go with Mamu. Um, two point two million dollar qualifying offer. Where do you see him? Considering that he got waived by the Bucks earlier this year, but then he, you know, he made a little bit of a bounce here with San Antonio, uh, but he was more so an end of the uh, bench rotation player. I mean, not, not even rotation player, end of the bench player for Milwaukee.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I think he he's kind of honestly still at that same level, like the qualifying okay. offer, the vet minimum. And the only reason I say that is because I think that at the end of the season, on these teams that don't really have. The, watching him play the way that he did, it was awesome. I just I think that there is some skepticism on teams because people have gotten burned before when a mm-hmm. player has a performance like they have at the end of the season because a team is resting a lot of their best players yes, or a yes. team is not playing a lot of their best players. And now all of a sudden, a, a guy gets usage that they normally wouldn't get. And it's not just usage but it's like zero pressure usage. You know, this yes, isn't like yes. a, a big playoff team bringing in mommy and saying, Hey, you're running every down for us. And if you lose, like there's going to be a lot of consternation and anger. It's just like, no, like no one cares. You go run 80% of the, possess- I mean, that's not what he did, but you know, like run a bunch of the possessions and the outcome. Like if you score, everyone's happy. If you don't, no one really cares. Like, That I think in the past has blinded teams and they made big mistakes to that. And I think that teams are really hesitant in those situations now. I think that teams want to see those kinds of players prove it before they really give them longer term, more financially secure deals. So, honestly, the qualifying offer or like a long, you know, the vet minimum, you know, as we're kind of confused on what the second round exception is, if he's a guy that's eligible for it, where a team can lock him up for four years at the vet minimum. Maybe he's that kind of player and like I what he was doing was very exciting. I just I think there is like a sense of hesitation of is that the player he's going to be for 82 games on a team that's like at least trying to be competitive.
1: I agree with you 100% there, where like, you know, what if Jeremy Sohan's um, healthy? What if um, Charles Bassey's healthy when, when Mamou joins the team? You know, is he getting those kind of minutes? And I really feel like he got a great opportunity, you know, because a lot of those players were in front of him were injured. But, you know, when, when training camp starts and everybody's fully healthy to start day one, is he able to crack the rotation like he was doing uh, at the end of the season? So I think that's a good case for San Antonio in terms of like, you know, around that 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 um, that call qualifying offer mount $2.2 even if they have to do a slight overpay just to get him, because uh, he, he's only been in the league for a few years, so he actually wouldn't get up to the $3 million mark of the veteran minimum, but so just going a little bit further, like we saw with Charles Bassett, they were giving like 2.5 million, that kind of a deal. So again, you could go do a slight overpay, but definitely not like, you know, not, not where you're going to go into those, those exception type of areas. So I think that that's a good, and that bodes well for San Antonio, the fact that they, they probably can outbid uh, teams that are, that are interested in him in terms of um, trying to resign him. Uh, then we have the two players. Uh, well, we have a Dominic Barlow here, $1.8 million qualifying offer. And they, again, this is to come back on a two way spot. Where do you, do you still see him more so as a veteran minimum kind of player league wide?
2: Yeah, I I think so. And, you know, I think part of this is I'm trying to look at his market, not only league-wide, but also within the Spurs, you know? And I think, you know, you see seven free agents here on the last slide. You had four open roster spots. But one of the ways that that kind of gets uncrunched a little bit is the fact that there is a third two-way now, and some of these players can be signed to two-ways again. And I don't know, is Julian Champini, is this his third year in the league now? Like, is he no longer two-way eligible?
1: I'm not 100% sure. I'll look it up while while you Okay.
2: Yeah. yeah, because I think I think the, the decision that the Spurs are going to make with three two-way spots now is keeping one of those two guys two-way. And if, if Julian's not even eligible anymore, then that makes the decision a little bit easier. Maybe keep the other one as like the 15th roster guy and then take their two second-round picks and make them two-ways. So now you have the three two-ways. One of them was the two-way that was there before. One of the two-ways is converted to a full NBA contract and now you're able to sign your two second round picks while not having a roster crunch. I think to me that kind of seems like a path forward. But in both situations, I think this 1.8 million dollar qualifying offer, the normal 2A contract, veteran minimum, like all of those things make sense for both of these players. It's just about mm-hmm. like how they're going to set up which one is going to become a full roster, which one's going to be a two-way yeah. and then sign your other two second round picks to the other two two-ways. And now you're you're set up where you still have these because like one of the things about rebuilding is you want to kind of gather as many lottery tickets as you can. And like, even if Dominic Barlow, Julian Champagny, um, one of these other two draft picks in the second round becomes the seventh or eighth player in the rotation. I think you know, every a home run is exciting. Drafting Manu or Jokic in the second round is exciting. But I think what people need to understand is for these two way guys for the second round picks that the Spurs have coming up. A seventh or eighth player in a rotation, someone who can play in the playoffs but is going to come off the bench, is an incredibly good outcome. Like, getting an NBA player from these spots are good outcomes. And so these players are lottery picks, and I think these players still have the capacity to show that that's who they are. And so I think the Spurs will want to keep them around for that reason. It's just a matter of, like, how are they going to kind of get this set up where they can keep one of them on a 2 way and then the other one on a full contract?
1: Okay. I agree with you there. And so I looked and he's only, he'll only have one experience in the league. He just played okay. this past season nice. was his only time logging time with San Antonio in Philadelphia. Uh, I agree with you there where you, you know, you try to get them, both. I, I think you just tried to get them both on two, a roster spots. Cause as, as good as uh, any of the season, he, that Champagne had, you know, again, you're, you're really tightening up that those available spots. Now, if you if, if, if it came to a, 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 a um, situation where you had to choose who do you want to give an actual roster spot to, I would actually go with, with Champagne over, over Barlow mm-hmm. at this point. I'd rather just let Barlow, again, ha- get Barlow back on a two-way, let him go have another season in Austin, probably finish out in San Antonio. Because, like, like, again, we saw his strides. He made strides, but they weren't until very late in the season. So, again, I think he's got some potential, but, again, I think you want to see him just continue to get some more um, development minutes there uh, with the G League. And then, um, you know, Gorgie Jang, we both probably expect him to to get a veteran deal if he comes back to San Antonio or another team, but let's go to Kade K- K- Bates Job because he's an interesting player because he had a pretty good season, like I said, for San Antonio. He's a veteran player, you know. They really relied on him to fill in whenever players were injured, but you could also see him maybe getting some minutes on a playoff team. Uh, what? Where do you think his range is, Kade Bates Job?
2: Hmm. I, I'm what? Oh man, I think that's another like room to not all of the new Emily, but like a team using part of their MLE on him.
1: Oh, okay. So,
2: it's th- so like I think the early it,
1: stages of it, like that 7.1 million to like eight. Yeah, million, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Cause I, I think, I think like on his nights where his play is cooking, like that's a solid bench contributor for a team, you know, and, and their games, I think, especially again, late in the season when the Spurs mm-hmm. really needed that, we were seeing that a good bit. Um, And I think it's just that he has the tools to be like, like that Rotation contributor. It's just like, are we going to see it on a consistent every night basis? Um, And I think that's really his his calling card at this point is, is kind of seeing that.
1: Okay. I'm with you there too. I'm going to say, I'm going to say uh, more so like the tax kind of um, deal from like a, like a playoff team. That's kind of, you know, like the, the, the Clippers or something, you know, one of those of teams that are in the tax uh, mm-hmm. and not the early stages of the MLE, like you said, seven, 8 mm-hmm. million, maybe max, not definitely not the full MLE from a team. Uh, So, so yeah, cause I think he definitely would bring value to like a veteran team, um, I mean a, a team that needs like playoff uh, with the playoff experience. Um, So I guess my last question for you for this part is, who do you ex- again? Not, I'm not saying they're going to actually come back to San Antonio, but who do you at least think that they'll give a, a qualifying offer to, or at least try to try to re-sign out of these these players um, from from the seven free agents?
2: Yeah. So the first one I want to say because it's a different kind of thing altogether. Let's say Gord Gorgie can't like stick around. I wonder if they offer him like a coaching contract or something. Cause okay. like he, he's, he's left the Spurs
1: <laughs> like four times this year
2: <laughs> and he keeps it coming or... back. And obviously, obviously mm-hmm. like loves the culture. He loves the organization and the organization loves him. You know, the fact that like, like signing a contract is a two way street here. And like, uh, you know, every single time he's come to the Spurs, it's been through signing a contract, which means mm-hmm. both parties are mutually coming to this agreement. So, you know, I, uh, y- Obviously there's something that both parties really like about each other. And I actually think that that means that there's a good chance that they would want to use one of their roster spots on it. Like we've seen the Spurs really appreciate that kind of thing in the past. You know, when Matt Bonner wasn't really playing as much, he, he had a roster spot until he retired, you know, because they really value the organizational like guys. They value the people who care and have the right attitude and all that kind of stuff. Besides that, I'm thinking looking at this list, um, Romeo and Mamu are like my two wild cards. I think Trey, Barlow and Champagne are like the definite like Mm -hmm. priority to keeps. And then KBD is like, as if his, as long as like he stays, like, I think they internally on some whiteboard say, here's the number we feel comfortable with. And if, if he stays within that range, they do. I mean, I think, I think KBD is a player that they probably are going to prioritize as well. But I think that those three players, Jones, Barlow and Champagne are like, the three that I think they're gonna prioritize the most because I think that these next two years are gonna be about the draft More than they are about the free agency process. So I think that those three players all make a lot of sense in terms of like Trying
1: to build going forward Okay, so I'm gonna go with you as well with Trey um, a champagne ball They're gonna definitely tend to those two players qualifying offers in my opinion I think also Mamu. I think that from what we st- just kind of praise that he got from Pop again. It's it's a it's not a it's not a, it's not a high risk offer. Two point two million dollar qualifying offer. I think that Mamu they would they would they would send him that qualifying offer, and then of course if there's a team that tries to outbid them. Then you know they'll probably just let him walk. I think Mamu they really like. I'm not so sure about Langford. He's the one that I don't think they would give a qualifying offer to. And then as far as the free agents, so I agree with you with Gorgie. If if they fill the roster and we get up to like you know opening days coming or training camps coming and they have 14 roster spots filled. I think that they just give that final roster spot to Gorgie Jang. And even if they have to wave him and then bring him back, like we saw this year, four or five times, it's I mean, again, they just want him in, in the uh, as a locker room presence for those young players. I think they really like him. So him, I, I'm going to wait and see. And then kada I think the, I think in terms of the organization, I feel like, there's always gonna be a roster spot there for him. So, like, I think their approach might be like, go see if maybe you can find a playoff level team. You know, you're getting, you know, you're definitely getting, um, you know, you know, out, uh, uh, elder there, and you could definitely try to go, maybe try to work, uh, play for a playoff team, try to win a championship. But if you can't find that type of deal, maybe you just come back, to San Antonio. We have we have a roster spot for you. Again, you're there to, you know, he's there. He's a really good player to to just help out whatever they're, they're sustaining injuries, things like that. So, um, yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at as well. Um, all right. So let's go to go to our next topic here. So again, there's seven free agents, and again, we do want to consider that there's like, there's only going in there's only four open roster spots. All right, so now let's go look at some cap space projections, and and again, these are very early numbers. Uh, so what I've done is I've, I've I've um I've laid out a few different scenarios here. So let's assume that the Spurs um you know get very lucky lucky in the lottery, and they end up getting uh, the number one pick. So they get to draft Victor Benyama. Well, if they get when binyama well then he's going to actually take up the most salary in terms of the. the- those, those potential um, draft areas. So he would, he would get about $11.9 million in year one of his, of his new deal. So uh, with Wemby and no free agents, so let's say they let Trey Jones walk, you know, all those players, they could, they could have up to $36.7 million in cap space. Let's say that they get Wemby. Uh, they, they extend the qualifying offers to Trey Jones, Mamu, Barlow, and Champagne, like we talked about, then they'd still have $25.8 million in cap space. And so, um, if if they do use their cap space, well then they're going to have that 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 new seven point six million dollar um, room exception they can use. And I also have here uh, the ranges for uh, where where they end up getting the first round pick. So if they get the first pick, it's a uh, it, it, that that pick in year one. Uh, that player's salary will be eleven point nine million. Then the second round pick's going to be ten point seven million. Third round pick, uh, third pick, should I say, is nine point six million. Fourth pick, eight point six. Then it goes all the way down to seventh, um, the seventh slot, which is six point five million. So again, if they if they get the higher that they that they draft, the the um, the more ca- the, the less cap space they have. But then the the lower that they draft, uh, the, the more cap space they're going to have. So my question would you to to you, Colin, would be. They don't have enough, even if, like I said, even if they, they got Wemby, but they let everybody else walk, they don't have enough to offer like a, a max free agent contract to, to a player with, with, unless that player is like in zero to year seven years experience. So they don't have enough to like, go get like that, that veteran, veteran player uh, on a max deal. What do you think their approach is going to be? Considering they're going to still be a young team, you know, they're, they're, they're barely going into year two of this rebuild. Um what do you think their approach would be like this season where like they're kind of just keeping their cast space to try to bring in, um, you know, maybe tradable contracts and then get uh, draft picks, Or do you think they will be more active in, in trying to pursue free agents?
2: I definitely don't think they're going to be super active. I guess, you know, obviously like, I think there are some, you know, uh, just looking at the discourse, some people believe if you get Wimby, then you just turn it on to 60 right away. I don't think mm-hmm. they do that, but I do think that maybe at that point you try to go after a couple of the younger like available players that like might have some talent on them. And you're a little bit more aggressive in that regard. But like, I I think still for this upcoming year, I, I think really you're targeting. So like, let's say last summer was year zero and then this is year one, year two and year three, and then year four, you're hoping to make the playoffs. I think year two and year three is really where you're hoping to like make some big additions to your team via free agency after you've done it in the draft. I think, Year zero, you know, was like the big teardown. And then year one, I think they're still going to be hoping to add bad contracts and take assets on in return for that. I think they would have done that last year. They would have gone into the season with zero dollars if they could. You know, I mean, they would have been a third team in a Westbrook trade if they needed to be, if it would have been at the right price for them before the season, I'm almost sure of. Unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of bad contracts in the league anymore. Mm -hmm. And some of the contracts that weren't really great got resolved this year on the buyout market. So, you know, there is, you know, the first one that comes to mind is Ben Simmons, you know, like, do they want another shooter on their roster, the nets around, you know, they, they added some defense in the trades that they sent out. Do they want to bring in Doug McDermott and be willing to send out some assets to the Spurs to take on, but you know, that they, they depleted their assets, regained their assets. Like they're, they're in such a whirlwind position. I don't know yeah. if they would do that that uh something like that where it's the team that's like hey we're kind of married to this guy for two or three years but it's kind of tying up our cap space we can send him to the spurs along with uh hopefully what's a late round first for that team because they're hoping to compete or whatnot but other if they can't get that kind of thing then i yeah just keep it open to continue to use it like they did this year where you're trying to find guys on the margins and you know, if you do that 20 times and three of them pop for you, then that's like a huge win. Like, again, like that's that's the kind of thing that a championship level team does. Like, you, yes, you have to have the first or second all NBA talent, but you also need those guys around them that make that good. And so I think to have 10 bites at the apple throughout the season because you're signing and waving players like that is very valuable. And I think having that space open, like obviously, if you can get first round picks for the space, you do that. But if you can't do that, then you leave it open for what they did this year. That's that's my take on it.
1: Okay. Uh, I'm with you in terms of two mindsets. If they get Wimpenyama again, I don't agree with you that they're going to go you know, fully, hey, let's go make the playoffs mm. next year or let's go straight for the play-in game. I think, though, that they would do more so of um, looking at free agency as far as like does a, a free agent currently out there fit with Wembenyama like two or three years from now? Like when we start really putting the team together, is is there a player we can lock up now for like a four year deal where like in year two and in year three and four that player is you know definitely going to uh, come into that role that we want next to Wembenyama on the side there, whether it's off the bench or starting. So I think that's how they, they would approach uh, free agency if they got Wembenyama in terms of looking at their long term plan, who fits with them within the next few years where they can be a competitive team pretty uh pretty quickly. Now if they don't get Wembenyama and, and they get you know picks two through whatever seven, then I think that they're going to be the same as this year where they're going to just keep that. Cap- cap space try to take some some contracts for picks that kind of situation so i think that's kind of going to kind of be their approach so again it really just like you said earlier to start this episode it really depends on where does what happens in the lottery you know i think that that in terms of their 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 pats there uh in free agency so we'll see what happens there with the caps but those are kind of the initial cap space projections for san antonio uh that's assuming that the cap is at 134 million that's been being projected and now the last topic on Let's, let's talk about it is uh, a, 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 a possible extension for Devin Vassell. So, uh, currently, Vassell will be earning $5.9 million next season in 23-24. Then, if he doesn't sign an extension with the Spurs, then he'll be a, a restricted free agent in 24-25 this summer with an $8 million qualifying offer. So, according to Bobby Marks of ESPN, uh, he, uh, Vassell projects to see an extension that starts, again, the word is starts, in the $17 million range. that makes sense? Uh, I would actually expect him to be in more in the 20s, uh, million million range. Uh, and and what we have seen the Spurs try to lock up a lot of these players early before they can hit restricted free agency lately. With the, in terms of guards and wings, so we saw Dejounte Murray get an extension. We saw Derek White get an extension. We even saw Keldon Johnson last year get an extension, where Keldon's is like 20 million in year one, but then it, it drops off to 17.5, 17.5, that kind of uh, deal. It's like a four-year deal uh, before they, those players were able to enter restricted free agency. Now, if you want to just know what is the max that Vassell would get if he were to just look for max offer. Uh, this offseason, season, which which he can't because he's still under contract, would be a thirty three point five million. So that's kind of again we're looking at like starting level seventeen point seventeen million, but then his max level is thirty three point five. And uh, I don't I don't know the specific date, but it's usually extensions need to be done before the first game of the regular season or Halloween, uh, October thirty first. Um, do you expect the Spurs to to reach an agreement with Vassell before before that 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 time frame comes? Um, whether it's like in the you know a, a little bit less, um, you know, probably I mean a little bit more than seventeen million, maybe in the tw- early twenties. Yeah, no, and, and that's when when I kind of saw the notes that you had,
2: you know, my first thought was, you know, Bobby Marks is great at this stuff. So I and he's source and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. to me, if if my job was being Devin Vassell's agent, I think and I came to the Spurs and they were like, Hey, you know, average annual value of seventeen million, I would say, Hey, why why is Devin getting less than Calvin is? And not, yeah. not in a bad way, but like the yeah. cap inflation like what we talked about, and just there's there's just these little flashes with Devin where it's like, if these start to become a more consistent part of his game, he is a valuable player. And they're, they're not, they're not there enough that you would give him the max extension or anything like that, but they're, they're just frequent enough where you, I think it is important to the Spurs to lock him up. And I am like you as his agent. I would want to, if, if I were his agent, I would want to see 22 or 23 is like the starting place and yeah. not descending like Keldon's. it's like, Hey, let's either keep it level or, yeah. Or have it go up. Like, and, and that's, I, I honestly think that's incredibly fair. Like 22 with max raises uh, is, is something that I think would be a win for the Spurs because I do think that those flashes are there. And and if I was his agent, I would definitely be like, you know, no, there's, we're not taking less than Kelden because even let's just even take inflation into it and have the same amount as Kelden, but impacted for where the cap went, you know, like, uh, yeah. So, so I, I'm with you. I think they should make it a huge priority but I, I don't think they're walking out of there with it being lower than 22 million starting and probably ascending raises instead of the descending.
1: Okay, so you're actually going higher than me. I mean, you're going you actually go lower than me. I was actually going to say like, yeah, start you know 22, 23, but I wasn't going to say even as high as 25. Like, like you know, just start yeah. the discussions there because we got to remember if he goes into restricted free agency the following summer, I'm actually playing up the numbers because I, I should have done this. My my apologies here. Uh, what is that? What is the max level for him next summer? So look at this. His max next summer. Let's just say they, they don't reach an agreement. It could be thirty five point one million. So yeah, I mean you're getting him, you would be, still be signing for 10, 10 million less than his max. And again, in the Spurs' camp, you know, again he has he, he didn't have you know he definitely showed strides. You know that's the reason why you're giving him this this big amount. But also you know he he has had you know he had an injury history this year. He only played like thirty eight games. So so again, I w- I would even say you know I'd be comfortable with just twenty five million easily as the baseline. Just because like again you got to yeah. look at. What what would he get on the open market the following year? And again, his max could be up to thirty five million. So, um, in in the following summer. So, yeah, I do expect the Spurs and, and Devin to um to come to some sort of agreement before that that deadline, whether it's um the first day before the regular season in October or if it's on Halloween. Well, uh, I think so one th- other thing. Go ahead. Sorry, just just one more thing no, about okay. that is
2: you know you're looking at that list: Dejounte, Derek, Keldon, and then Devin. I think one of the biggest differences is you know all of those players had potential to different degrees. Um, but I think out of those four players, Devin has the most explosive potential over this next yes. year. Like, like the player that we think of him now is is already vastly different than what we thought of him just after year two. Yeah. And it might be the case. Like you said, the Mac, like, like that $35 million max, would I say it's the most likely outcome? No, but I think of all of the players that the Spurs extended, he's the one who has that pop potential. And like, I just wouldn't play games with that. And I think that the um, Kawhi situation where they kind of played around with it so they could sign Aldridge and they made him go into the last year and and they gave him the max that he could, but players really seem to not like that. Like when you have the ability to extend them and you don't and you kind of play around with it, like that seems to be something that players really hate. And so – it seems like after that happened with Kawhi, the Spurs have been completely the opposite. They're not about that at all, and they they try to play it a little bit safer. And and just like whatever Devin becomes, you cannot let that pop potential walk away. That's just too much. That's uh, too like he could be a number two on the Spurs next playoff iteration, and mm-hmm. that wouldn't be crazy. So you you just you can't let that walk away from you, or you can't let that become thirty five million when it could have been twenty five the year before, like you're saying.
1: Yeah. And, and like you just like you start off our conversation, you said you asked Spurs fans who are the, the two most players that are the hardest to trade. And I mean, that you would say no to them in terms of trades. And it's Devin and Jeremy. Those are the two foundational pieces right now as of this moment. So, yeah, I think it's a definite they have to lock him up this offseason. And I do expect the uh, both the team and Devin to, to come to a, a, a agreement before the extension deadline uh, kicks in. All right, so thank you to uh so hope so Spurs fans again, thank you for all for listening. And and again, I hope Colin and I um, you know, uh, uh you answer some of your questions if you had any regarding the offseason. Again, we'll have more episodes in the future in terms of like breaking down actual free agents and like you know, I know we just mentioned, you know, the kind of scenarios they should look at, but we'll actually have some some names here in the in the in the coming weeks. Uh I'll definitely have Colin on before before free agency. And of course, once we get more of those final details on the CBA, I want to have Colin back on so we can really dive into that and talk about how it's gonna impact the Spurs. So thank you to Colin for joining me on this episode of the Spurs cast. And I also want to say thank you to Joe Garcia for... From- mixing and producing this episode. From all of us at Project Spurs, stay safe and have a great day.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it